Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning out, and we pray that uh, you grant us insight into your text as we study it. Thank you for bringing us here safely and for such a beautiful morning. May we meet your spirit here and learn from your feet in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we're working our way through the discussion on the role of women in the church, a very important topic for today. And uh, last week we sort of hurriedly stopped with the Titus chapter 2 passage, which I'd like to go back to and just polish off. And then we'll talk about some uh, questions and uh, see how, where that leads. And if we have time left over and we don't get arguing too badly, um, we will look at the ordinances of the church, begin the study on the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Titus chapter 2, um, the background of both of the pastoral epistles, or all three of the pastoral epistles, um, First, Second Timothy, Titus, the background of all three of those books are Paul wrote these letters to his protégés. These are the men that are going to take over his place. Paul, of course, is in his 60s, if not a little older. Um, he is in prison. He doesn't have much time left. In fact, in 2 Timothy, he's expecting his death at any moment. Titus was written in between 1 and 2 Timothy. Um, but these are all written in the mid to late 60s, right around in that area. And uh, Paul's passing off the scene. And, of course, he has two men that are going to come and take his place, Timothy and Titus. They're his replacements. I just like to take over for Paul. That's kind of tough to do, isn't it? Now, what does that tell you about Timothy and Titus? They're be, they better be, or he wouldn't be telling him them they are his true sons in the faith. He called them his true sons in the faith. And he wrote both of these books, or all three of these books, in order to help them in the role that they had in establishing churches, establishing the um, leadership of the church, 1 Timothy, of course, was written to Timothy in Ephesus to do that. Titus was written to Titus in Crete to do that. And Paul says, I wrote this and I wanted you to ordain elders in every city. And that's one of the, in, first, in Titus chapter 1. So all of these books are written to discuss and talk about church leadership. And, and again, this is the context of it. The context of these books are how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth, Titus 3.15. It's talking about the corporate assembly. What is the corporate assembly? What is that? Is that a Sunday school class? No, no it's not a Sunday school class. Is it a home Bible study? No. no, it's not a home Bible study. This is talking about when you gather on whatever day of the week that you meet corporately for worship and the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. That's what the context is. So if you don't get that context right, you're going to have all kinds of confusion with this. And in Titus chapter 2, Paul talks to Titus and he says, I want you to teach things that accord with sound doctrine. This is one of the um, great words used in the pastoral epistle, sound, hygienase, healthy. What, what's healthy doctrine? What does healthy doctrine produce? Godly people. How do you know they're a godly person? Do they exhibit the fruit? of the Spirit? Do they exhibit faith? Do they exhibit love? Do they exhibit sound character? Do they exhibit the virtues of the Christian faith? That's sound doctrine. So if you look at a church and you've got people in there that are spiritual basket cases, what kind of doctrine do you think is being taught? Possibly. Not the right stuff. 
not the right doctrine. It's always important to have that. And then he says, um, here's, here's what that means, Titus. Older men are to be sober-minded. Who's the older man? In that context, in that day, who would be the older men? The mature men. They would be in their 50s, 60s, somewhere around in there. All right. Now, I think it's talking about older, as in chronological age older. Um, I want the older men. Now, there, there is a connection to spiritual maturity, right? Or there should be. All right. But an older man here would not be someone who's in there, who's 25. It'd be someone who is elderly. Someone who is probably in the grandparenting years. All right? That's what we would be talking about. Um, they're past the point of raising their own children. They're now looking to the second generation of their grandchildren. Same thing with older women here, by the way. And older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. From 20,000 feet, how's the older man supposed to act? Mature. Spiritual maturity, right? Um, the older men are not to be all over the map when it comes to spiritual issues. Um, they're, to, they're to exhibit some kind of, uh, I want to call it gravitas. We've talked about that word gravitas. They're to be sober-minded. They're to be serious about things. doesn't mean they can't have fun. That's not what Paul is saying, where if you get to be an older man, you've got to look pickled. That's not what he's talking about. You can have a good time. You can enjoy life. But older men have a tendency to see things a little differently. Why? Because they've been down the road a bit. You know, when you're a younger man, you think nothing is going to happen. And, you know, you got the world by the tail. And, you know, I'm getting to the point now where I'm, I'm, I'm um, drifting into the older man um, area here. I've got parents who are not going to be here much longer. You know, um, it used to be I went to the funerals of my great aunts and great uncles and grandparents. Now it's my aunts and uncles parents and before long it's going to be me and that alters the way you view life you you realize you're running out of time you know I'm 51 in 29 years I'm going to be 80 most people don't live to be 80 I don't know if I'll be around I hope so you know? <laughs> that's all right on the way back from Europe the stewardess commented on Donna being my daughter which made her day all right um, they want to know how my daughter was doing I said what daughter she's my wife she's older than me no she's not she cleans out when she goes into those you know like to Cedar Point and have guess your age oh she walks away with the loot I'll tell you um, but what, what's the point here older men are to be mature they're to exhibit maturity and then he says what about younger or older women well, older women, in the same way, in the same way I'm commanding older men, I want older women to be reverent in behavior, not slander or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. How's the older woman, woman to be? Instead of catting around with all of her friends all the time, which, is, by the way, it's not wrong to do that. But she needs to be sober as well. She needs to exhibit a stability. Why? Why would she exhibit a stability? Because she's been down the road, right? 
She's raised the kids. She knows what it's like to deal with rebellious teenagers. She knows what it's like to deal with the problems and trials of life. And she brings a maturity and a stability to herself because of her experiences through life. And then it says, what is she to do? And to teach what is good. Now, what do you, in the context of sound doctrine and good, what do you think she's, Paul's talking about here? Yeah, teaching that which is healthy. And what is she to do? To train the young women to love their husbands and children. So what's the contrast between older women? If, if you think about it, let's go sideways. What would be the contrast between the older woman and the younger women? What do the older women not have that the younger women do have? Experience. Well, experience, but in this... Kids. Kids. The older woman has raised her kids. She's now into the grandkid stage. So she is to train the younger women who still have children, small children. These are children within the home. All right. She's to train the younger women to do what? Well, to love their husbands and their children. Now, by just reading that, the feminazis pop a vein, right? How dare you say that we're supposed to focus on our husbands and kids. But what does the Bible tell the women to do? Focus on their husbands and kids. Yeah. Because if, if you lose that, you've lost everything. That's the virtuous woman. Yeah. I, um, you know, I work with a lot of women and at Moen that you know, they're there and their kids are being raised by somebody else. They're not paying attention to their children. Now, there are certain times when you have to work as a woman, we understand that. But generally, in our society, what's the younger woman told to do? Stay and rear your children. Career. You know, and kids, you know, you work them in, you sort of work them into the fabric if you can, but your focus is to be your career. What's the Bible say your focus should be as a woman? Stay home and rear your kids. That, why? Because that's the next generation. That's where the woman has the most influence. You know that. My brother calls home every day. He lives in West Virginia. He calls home every day. And guess who he wants to talk to? Mom. It's his mother. Look, I'm not telling you anything that you all don't really know. But our society has twisted this. It's taking the focus off of your home and your family, and it's focusing on career. I'll go on a, and again, I'll ask what I asked you. If you get a bunch of women together, what are they talking about? Their careers, their jobs. That's men. Their families. Your kids, your grandkids. Y'all carry you know, pictures of your kids, your grandkids, your daughters. Your, you know, the great event in life is when you have your first grandbaby. I mean, that, that's a big deal. That, that, that's what women focus on. Why is that? Well, that's what God's wired them to do. That, well relational. relational. That, yeah, you could, drop, you could drop a man off, like, you know, with Tom Hanks off with Wilson out in the middle of the island. You know, and, you know, he'll make it. Now, you drop a woman off, she goes start raving mad because there's nobody to talk to. There's, women need that. She would make two or three she'd have, she'd have, yeah, she'd have three or four of them out there, you know. But that's how God's wired us. And the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands, love their children. And then it says here to be chaste, 
What's it mean to be, be chaste? To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Kind and submissive. And that's, this is the concept here. We, we never talk about the family. But it's not that the woman is the doormat. She, she's not to be that. But she works with the husband and in the home, within the context of the home, she is to submit to the leadership of her husband. That's the way God has designed it. And she's happiest doing that. I, I, I asked several women at work, I said, if you had the choice of, of your husband making enough money that you didn't have to work, would you work? Almost universally, the answer is what? No. no. They don't want to work, for the most part. You always got one or two that want to do it. But the, the point is, this is how God has designed it. And God has designed the older woman to come alongside the younger women and to help them in this. Now, where, for the most part, where do younger women get their child-rearing knowledge today? <laughs> yeah, Oprah, or the TV, or the mags at, at, you know, in the checkout line at the grocery store. That's, that's where you get it. Where should they be getting it? In the church. The older women. The woman who's, who's gone through it. You know, when they come and say, I, my, you know, I have a four-year-old. She's driving me bananas. Say, well, you know, I had four four-year-olds, and this is how I dealt with it, and this is how I worked through it, and this is what I did. And to be an encouragement, to come alongside, to help them. And as far as I can see in the scripture, this is the primary role of the older woman. She should be doing this. Now, what are older women today mostly doing? Everything but this. This is where the older woman can come alongside and really have an impact for the kingdom of God. We see this today in counseling. Um, young women come in, they have trouble in their marriage, they, they talk to pastors, and you got, that's a dangerous situation. I told you Howard Hendricks did a study of 200 pastors that fell into immorality, and 171 or two of them it started out counseling the younger woman in a marriage situation. What does that tell you? You've got an 85% mortality rate if you start counseling a younger woman. Why are the pastors counseling the younger women? There isn't any older women around to do it. We need the older women. Desperately. It's okay if it's a couple, but not... It's a couple, yeah. They're, they're, and there are situations, you know, where, where, you know, as a couple you might have a younger woman that you know, you know, that, that, that you're familiar with in the family or something, you're counseling her or spending time with her. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be careful with this. And and the difficulty is I you know and, and a lot of a lot of the noise I hear out there say there and one of the big objections on um, the what I would call the complementarian. What's the complementarian model? Talk about egalitarian complementarian. What's the complementarian model? Equal but different. All right, egalitarian is equal but equal everywhere. All right, complementarian is equal but different roles. All right, in the complementarian model, or people, one of the arguments against the complementarian model I've heard say, well, what do you do about a woman who's been gifted to teach? Well, what's the answer to that? 
Yeah, right here. It's in Titus 2. She has a forum to do that. And she has a forum. By the way, let me explain it this way. She has a form that only she can do well at. Men can't do this. Do you understand that? I do not relate to younger women with problems with their kids. I don't relate. Oh, I can tell what the Bible says, but I don't relate. I can't relate. But as an older woman, you can relate. And this is your, this is, boy, I tell you, God has handed it to you on a silver platter. You know, this, this role that you can do. And some say, well, what if God's gifted them to preach? Well, let's understand something. Did God gift them, gift them, or what God gift them to do something that he forbids? No brainer. No, he wouldn't. But God has gifted them to speak. And where can they best use that gift? With the proper audience. Have at it. Go for it. Do it. You went to the Beth Moore assembly or whatever. She's doing it. She has a, she, she's fulfilling her role. And, and that's what we desperately need. And it says here, why is this? Why, why are the older women to teach the younger women to do this? What's the purpose? Other than it being right, but what's the purpose given in this text? So that the word of God may not be revived. Right. What does that mean? That won't be perverted, sustained, changed, whatever. Yeah. Lost. The idea there is that when we as Christians display a stable, solid, healthy family life, what does that tell the world? The Christianity works. The creator's right. But when you see a family that's completely dysfunctional, the mom's off at her career, the kids are on drugs, the daughter's running around with her boyfriend, the husband's nowhere to be seen, what does that tell the world? You're no better than we are. Do you understand that this is evangelistic? In, in, in a sense? When you can show the world that you have a stable, healthy, your kids are not on drugs, they're stable. That doesn't mean that one kid's always going to turn right, we understand that. But generally, if you raise your kids right, generally, what's going to happen? Generally. They'll turn out right. They'll turn out right. There's always one that doesn't. I, I know there's the exceptions. But this is what makes the Word of God shine. It's what adorns the doctrine of God our Savior who later on in this chapter wants all men everywhere to repent. You want to make God look good? Your family should look good. And when the world sees a family where the husband loves his wife and takes care of his family and provides their needs and a woman who loves her husband and takes care of the kids and focuses in on the kids and those kids are healthy and emotionally and raised in a, in a proper environment of love and nurturing, what does that tell the world? And deep down inside, everybody out there in the world wants something like that. You realize that? Deep down inside, when you, when you take away all of the stuff that they've been told, what do people really want? 
What do women really want? Do they want a husband that hates them or loves them? Right. Do they want kids that are decent and well-behaved and normal, or do they want wrecks? This is the way you do it. You know, I'm, I'm beating this horse to death, but... If there's a woman in the class that feels a tug in her heart, she can call me about the Titus She's starting the Titus team. She's starting that. You need to, you know, this is, a, this is an opportunity for you. Um, to, 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 to use your God-given gifts to minister and to strengthen the church. And, and why does Satan attack the family so much? Because if he can destroy the family, he's won. You understand that? If he can destroy the family, you've won. So this is where Paul says the older women are to come alongside and to help the younger women and help them with their kids and help them when they have trials and, they, and they're not sure who to talk to. That, to be able to call an older woman who's gone down the path and have that woman pray with her and to help her and encourage her means all the difference in the world to many of these younger women. And what are the younger men to do? I want the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about you. What's the younger man to do? He's to focus on his doctrine to be self-controlled. <coughs> What's the great danger of being a young man? No discipline. You're to be disciplined. You're to show self-control. You're to be sound what does it mean sound? Healthy in your speech. Why? So when you speak, somebody says, well, you know, he just blows his mouth off. He doesn't know what he's saying. Sound speech that can't be condemned. Why is this? So that the word of God is not blasphemed. Slaves, verse 9, are to be submissive to their own masters and everything there to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Listen, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Why is it you're to be a good employee? To adorn the doctrine of God, your Savior. How can you say that God changes lives if you're a bad employee? You're late all the time. You don't do your work right. You goof off at work. Is that showing the world what a godly Christian is? No. And why is it that all of these people are to do this? Well, so that the word of God can be adorned. That you would adorn the teaching, the doctrine of God our Savior. Why? Why do you want to adorn that? And why do, what does it mean to adorn something? When I adorn something, what am I doing? To make it beautiful, to dress it up, to make it attractive. How do you make the gospel attractive? How do you make the word of God attractive? By the way you live. And why is that important? Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Why am I to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior? Because God wants everyone what? Saved. He wants to bring the message of salvation. And what does that message of salvation teach us? 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. What does the grace of God do? It saves us to do what? To live it out. To be godly. This idea that you can become a Christian and just live any way you want because now you're going to heaven is ridiculous. It's crazy. It's nuts. It's not even taught in the Bible. You work it out. And of course, I don't see the halo or the E on your forehead, but I'll tell you what, I can observe your life. And Paul is saying here, if your life doesn't match up, you better go back and ask yourself, did I have the real thing? Why do I want to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior? Because God wants every man, everybody, everywhere to repent, and, to, and that repentance produces a life of godliness and righteousness, and, and it, it works its way out in the way you live and the way you treat other people. Well, we are created to glorify God, glorify me. To adorn. To adorn, to give a correct estimate of. To make look good. Yeah. Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What else does this gospel do? It makes us look forward to the coming of our Lord. Listen, who gave himself for us to redeem <coughs> us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession or zealous for good works. What does salvation produce? Good works. Godly people. Healthy doctrine. Healthy families. Good relationships. It, it works its way out in the way you live. And then what does he tell Timothy? I want you to declare these things, exhort them, rebuke with all authority, let no one ignore you. Timothy, you tell them this and don't let them ignore it. Don't let them blow you off. This is what we're to do. Am I correct in assuming that you're to be open to spouses to this text? Yeah. Okay. How, are we, how are we communicating this through membership and those that attend here? I mean, I, I keep notes in my Bible as far as uh, when Scripture is referenced in, in sermons. I've not, we've not heard mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Do we have something going on in one of our ministries that emphasizes these attributes? I don't know the answer. I don't know if we have. I think we're starting some. I think the Titus ministry that is starting here in the women's ministry is going to address some of those. I think there's a tremendous challenge today, yeah. especially for the, young, the younger people, mm -hmm. the young parents, because if they've just come to know Christ and they've been exposed to the world, Mm -hmm. more mature Christians. And today's world has so many distractions to it. Most importantly, the technology. Yeah. To me, this, just talking on the side here, stepping out of the text, talking talk about a side issue, godliness is something that is grown and produced. It's not something you get by reading a book, implementing a couple of techniques, and got it. Um, and I think we live in a kind of day and age where we're, it, there's a very pragmatic approach to this stuff. If you're having trouble with your kids, what do you do? You go get a book on parenting, read it, and that'll solve all your problems. No, it doesn't. Now, you might get a couple of good techniques out of that. You might get some good insights and things like that. But then what do you have to do? You have to put those principles into practice. And it takes time. It, it, it's something that... that 
that doesn't come in overnight. And we live in a day and age, you know, where if you want something to eat, you throw the thing in the microwave, you push the button, and three minutes later, you got a hot meal. Well, you know what? That, it doesn't work that way when it comes to spiritual things. It, it's all about relationship, right? It's about relationship. You can't have quality unless you have quantity. You have quantity. How is it that a younger woman, according to this passage, how is it that a younger woman learns to love her children, love her husband, be self-controlled, to keep her home? How does she learn to do that? She reads a book? She, work, she, she is with older women who pour their lives into her over a period of time. How is it that the younger men learn to be self-controlled, to be sound in their speech? They read a book? No, it's practice. We, we live in an age where you want to read a book. You know, we got our bookstore full of books with all these little techniques. You know, just do this and it'll solve your problem. Do that and your kids will you know, love you. And all. Look, it, it doesn't operate that way. It takes an investment of time and energy and prayer over the long haul. All right? And I think we short-circuit that. And we become disheartened because... You know, a woman says, you know, well, I've been struggling with my child now for six months and it's not working out. I give up. You got to keep at it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it takes time. And that's why we need to, what, encourage and admonish one another. That's part of the body life, to come alongside and to help other people who are struggling with things. That's what it means to grow up and be mature and to be stable and to help other people reach that level of maturity. Um, two, two things. First, I just need some clarification. I found your question interesting. Are you referring your question to all the points up there, or was it a particular verse? In general, right? That's right. what I thought. Titus, Titus 2, 1 through 15. Mm -hmm. Again, I've, I've not heard it out of the pulpit in uh, 15 years. Yeah. Okay. I don't think we've had a series on the pastoral epistles. Mm -hmm. that stuff when we are exhibiting some of these qualities uh, at any given point in time and sometimes if we're not yet at a point of maturity that we ought to be we feel so like maybe we are out of touch and we end up maybe I don't know saying something or acting in a certain way that really isn't what we want to do, but we want to be with it or cool or accepted. And experience has taught me that when I've allowed that to happen on this or that occasion, it immediately surprises them or they get shocked or they get disappointed or they get let down. And they really want to be able to see somebody who's strong enough to stand up under the little ridicule or the little put-downs mm -hmm. so that somewhere thereafter they will come back and say, you're the real thing, yeah. you know. And that's, that's the thing. When we, when we reach a level of our, in our spiritual life where we do exhibit stability and maturity in that, people want that. They really do. They just don't want to believe that you got to do it the Bible way. They want to do it some other psychological, 
you know, mumbo jumbo way. They don't want to do what the scripture says. But we've got the book. This is the, this is the user manual on life. This tells you how to, how to work it. And when we do this, we have functional families, not dysfunctional families. Doesn't mean you have error-free or problem-free families, but you have the principles to work through it. We have the answers. We don't need to be squeezed into the world's mold and think like them. We've got it here. Mm-hmm. So if a woman feels like I gotta be perfect and have my act together <laughs> to be a mentor, uh uh-uh. no. no. As long as you're hanging on to God and the biblical principles, you can be an extremely effective one because then that younger woman doesn't feel like she's been lorded over yeah. or I'll never make it or this is an unattainable And when that older woman tells that younger one, you know, I did that and it blew up in my face and I paid the that's, there's some value to that. Yeah. Sometimes it's helpful to know what doesn't work. And it's all part of, this is all part of body life, of community, of building each other up. And, and I think if you look at Titus here, God, is ordained, God has created a role that the older women can fulfill, that only they can fulfill. They're the only ones qualified to do it. It is necessary and essential to the health of the body of Christ. And unfortunately, in most churches today, we're not doing that. We're trying to go do something else. I just wanted to say that uh, the Titus team that Ruth is starting, the prayer ministry that is in place here, Church of Yoga Mandela, and the men of Valor, are examples here in this church that I think help where we help each other. And, you know, you have different age groups. Mm-hmm. older ones, you have middle-aged people, and then you have young ones who want to come. And, and I think it works. Yeah. I think that's what's working here in Church of the Door. The point is, if you do it God's way, it works. If you do it your way, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. All bets are off. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Another ministry that helps um, oh. is the wildflowers. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We go to the detention home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you look at what they're being taught out in the world, their brains are scrambled. Their role models are people that you have no business hanging around with. And yet, in the church, we're, we're dropping the ball on this, I think. And, I, you know, I, I would hope that this would be a call to people to come back to, hey, let's do what the Bible, hey, let's try the Bible's way and let's see if that works. Because it will, it, it, it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now that certain ministries are being named, I think that's also true of at least, I don't know any life group except the one I'm in, but at least that one is definitely building each other up. Yeah. You know. 
And again, it's not that you're perfect, but it's that you've, you've share your experiences and help someone who's less experienced than you are. <coughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's been a church push in this area, but there are ministries that are doing this. Yeah, I think we're making progress. Yeah. I just wanted to mention men's basketball league too. Mm-hmm. They uh, they have Bible studies and they open it up to outside mm-hmm. people trying to draw um, outside guys in. Yeah. The the greatest, without sounding self-serving, one of the greatest compliments that Donna and I ever received was our neighbors who, our ex-neighbors who were Mormons. And uh, the husband left his wife, and she had three kids. And they used to come over to our house every day after school, and we'd watch them while her mom worked and that. And uh, her mom said one time, she said, well, the, the church, the Mormon church that she went to, was concerned that, you know, why, why don't you have your kids hang around with the Mormon men and women at the church? She said, well, I like them hanging around Don and Alan because they really exhibit what a home should be, you know. Amen. And um, folks, people are watching you. Mm-hmm. We are when nobody's looking. And when they see a home where the husband loves his wife, the wife loves her husband, they love their kids, the kids are stable, they're disciplined, they're taken care of, they're not running amok. And when they do get into trouble, they're dealt with. That shows the world that the stuff works. And the world wants it. Deep down inside, the world wants what we have. They just don't want to pay the price for it, but they want it. So let's show them what it's like and adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You know, as a church as a whole, just like Servo area is next week, and last year, people downtown were just shocked to see our teenagers out there picking up cigarettes Mm -hmm. on Broad Street. So I think we do display that, you know, we we have really good kids. They have to have been taught somehow. Yeah. Adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So what is Titus 2? I was going to try to get in the ordinances. It's not going to work this today, but we'll, we'll finish this up. All right. What does Titus 2 tell us in this regard? Well, God has designed various roles for men and women in the church. Each of these roles has differing responsibilities. The key word is role. That's the key word. Just as in a marriage, the husband and wife are equally valuable before God, they're equally valued by God. There's no difference of equality or importance between them. Nevertheless, God has ordained different roles within the family. So also in the church. Yes, men and women are absolutely equal before God, but God has designed different roles. That's all it is referring to. That is God's pattern. And by the way, when you violate that pattern, you're violating God's pattern for marriage, for the church, for the family, and whenever you violate God's pattern, what happens? Doesn't work. Doesn't work out. Just There's consequences to it. When each group within the church, older men, older women, younger men, and younger women, fulfill their role, then what is it? The word of God is not blasphemed. And the testimony of the church is untarnished. 
Do you want the testimony of the church untarnished? So here's the other thing to understand. We, we represent Christ beyond ourselves. And when we portray ourselves as losers to the world, what does that tell them about Christ? Well, he does, he's no better than what I got. You know, I'll, I'll stick with what I have. But when they see a distinct difference between us and they see stability and maturity and self-control and all of that kind of stuff, it attracts them to the message that we preach and proclaim and to the Savior that we love. So let's attract them instead of chasing them away. What are older women given? They have been given the responsibility. Notice what I said here? What's the operative word? Responsibility. No one else can do that. The pastor can't do that. Younger men can't do that. Only older women can do that. To teach younger women regarding their role within marriage and society. <clears throat> Instead of being commanded to keep silence, older women are not only allowed but even commanded to teach younger women. They're not given the role of teaching older men or older or younger men, but they are told to teach younger women. Do that. That's what Paul's telling them to do. I mean, I don't know how else you get around the clear command here. Younger women find their role as being that of a godly wife and mother. Instead of seeking prominence outside the home, they find their number one calling as that of the home. What does a woman really focus in on? Her home. I know that from experience. I live with a woman. And every time somebody comes over, she spends a week cleaning the house. Our house is already clean. She just wants to make sure it's really Yeah, clean. I got to clean out the cupboards. No one's looking in the cupboard. I, I, I have yet to have somebody come over to my house, open the cupboard, and look in it and try to... Wow, you know, you don't clean the cupboard out. You know, it's not been cleaned out for a week. You know. I pick on her a little bit, but she... You know, she just, her focus is the home. What is a woman's focus? Look, go into the average bachelor pad and go into the pad of a single woman. What's the difference? Holy moly. Yeah, yeah, what's the difference? You know, pizza boxes all over the place and, you know, garbage piling up. And the big, you know, the important thing for the bachelor pad is the TV, right? And the fridge. Now you go to the, you go, go to a woman's, Apartment. What is it? It's all nice, orderly, everything's put up, it, the colors match, you know. Look, we laugh about that, but that's how God has wired all of this. And there, there, there's, there's a certain joy that God has when we fulfill the roles that he's given us. They find their fulfillment. Women find their fulfillment in their families, in their home. That's where they find their greatest fulfillment. And the world today says, bag that, go out and get a career. Yeah, I'm sorry. The bad thing about that, too, is when women go out and get careers, they rob careers from men. Or they undermine a man's attitude. Well, if she doesn't like the way I'm doing it, let her go out and do it. And I think that's unfortunate. There's all kinds of nasty little things that work in, that, that fall in there. You're right. So let's ask some questions. These are some objections that people raise, and we're going to finish our time discussing these, talking about them. And if we finish early, don't, don't uh, we'll get used to it, all right? Um, 
Yeah. One of the objections, well, what about Phoebe? Who's Phoebe? Well, look at Romans chapter 16. All right. Romans chapter 16. Verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of all the saints and help her in whatever she may need of you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Phoebe, what about her? Some people say, well, this is showing that Phoebe was an elder or leader in the church at Sincrea. Where's Sincrea? Well, if you look at your map, Sincrea and Corinth are sister cities. They're on the little isthmus between, in Greece, you know, where you got the, the large part at the bottom, then you got Athens at the top. They're, they're sister cities. And Paul here is commending Phoebe, and he calls her a servant of the church, diakonia. And so the egalitarian folks run to this verse and say, this proves that Phoebe was a prominent leader in the early church. Because she call, she's called a servant of the church. Paul is commending her to the Roman church. And evidently she was the bearer of the Roman letter. She's the one that actually took this letter that Paul had penned and took it back to Rome. And so what they want to do is they want to build the case that Phoebe was at best, or at worst, just a leader. At best she's one of the elders or prominent leaders in the church at Corinth. All right. Well, if we just look at this passage, is that borne out? Is that borne out? Well, I don't believe it is. Let me give you some of the reasons for it. When you look at servant, diakonia, there's no feminine form of this. It's just servant. What is a servant in those days? They were just someone who did something. Were there women in the church that were servants? Yeah. We even talked about them in Titus, right? Women deacons, deaconesses. So, of course, there were. And, in fact, in Philippians, what did Paul say? I beseech Euodia and Syntyche to get along. Why? They worked with me in the ministry. Is there a role for women in the ministry? Well, yeah. We just talked about that in Titus, right? There's certainly a role for women in the ministry. But that's it. There's a role for them. It doesn't say Phoebe is an elder. Again, there's no example of Phoebe being an elder. It doesn't say Phoebe was preaching. What did she do in this context? She took a letter from Rome, or from Corinth, or Sincrea, to Rome. And she's called here, and this is interesting, she's called a patron. That's an interesting word, a patron. In those days, there were women, evidently wealthy women, who were called patrons. And what they would do is they would help fund certain things. In, in the prominent Greek cities, you had women that were patrons. Um, you had women that were uh, like Lydia. What was Lydia? Seller of purple. She was a businesswoman. As a businesswoman, what did she do? She helped support, but she also traveled. And what Paul is saying is, I'm going to recommend Phoebe, who is a patron and who is a, a, a member of the Corinthian church, evidently, and someone who has served in the Corinthian church, she's going to bring this letter on one of her business trips or whatever. She's bringing this letter to Rome, and I want to commend her to you. In my Bible, I just have a regular NIV, 
Mm -hmm. um, it says um, Phoebe a servant, and then on the bottom it notates or deaconess. Yeah, and the, and the word is diakonia here. And, and again, there's no feminine form of this. Right, but it's saying okay. so Well, the, yeah, and what that, that's an implied. It's an implied. There's no separate word for it, but it's implied because she's a female servant, a deaconess. And I, I don't have a problem with that. As we already said, I have no problem with women deaconesses. What are they? they yeah. Yeah. Right. But I have no problem with her being a servant in the church. I mean, Paul called her a servant, a fellow servant. And what? Probably in the church. Yodi and Syntyche were certainly serving in the church too, weren't they? What did you say the great word was? Diakonia. Servant. It, it comes from the root word to raise the dust. All right, and, and generally it's referring to someone who is a busy. They're, they're busy, they're doing something. All right. Um, and here's the thing, just because she took a letter does not make her an elder any more than Tychicus who took a, a letter right back to Colossians and a Philemon was an elder. Just because you took a letter doesn't mean you're the elder or a leader in the church. And someday, say, she, she was called a great help, prostatus Paulon, great help, she must also have been a leader since the word prostatus often refers to those who are leaders. However, the word also refers to those who are wealthy patrons and have used their wealth in noble causes. This was the common word. If you go back and look at the etymology of this word, big kittles, there's a big ten volume set on the Greek words and takes every Greek word in the New Testament and it traces its etymology in all of its four. If you're in, the in theology classes, you'll, you'll come in across this work. Um, prostatus was a word used to refer to wealthy patrons or wealthy women that used their position, their wealth in the church. Paul had these, right? Did Jesus have these? Yeah, he did. Alright? There's nothing wrong with... The point here is this. Just because Phoebe is mentioned as the bearer of Romans and a servant does not make her an elder, a pastor, a leader. It doesn't do that. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? You can't, you can't say, well, Phoebe did it, we can do everything and then some. You've you got to stick with what the text says. And the text here does not prove her eldership or her as a pastor or an elder. All it is is she's a servant. There were a lot of women who served in the church. She was one of them. And she's to be commended for it. There's, there's not, there's, she's to be honored. Yeah. Of that letter. Right. That didn't her to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now here's another verse that's really tossed around. They really like this one. What about Galatians 3.28? This is really used a lot. Let's look at Galatians 3.28. And uh, before I read it, what, what, well, again, what are the three most important principles of biblical interpretation? Context. Context and context. All right. Okay. Let's look at it. I'm going to start reading in verse 23 and we'll go on down. Now before the faith came, we were captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 
So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. What's Paul talking about here? Well, the role of the law. What was the role of the law? It was our pedagogos. It was our guardian. It, it, yeah, our tutor. Some, verse, some passages say schoolmaster. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. In the context, what is he talking about? You used to be under the law, it was a schoolmaster, but now that you've come to faith, you are all, and who's the all there? All who believe. You're all um, sons, and this is the generic sons, of God through faith. For as many as you are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and no female, for you're all one in Christ. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now some read that and say, see, proves it. Men and women are equal. No, that's not what it's saying. If you want to say men and women are equal, what else do you have to say? From the context, what else do you have to infer? Okay, so you got to get rid of the master-slave relationship. You're all equal. Yeah, it's not talking about that. What is it talking about? Spiritual privilege in Christ. And it says in Christ, in the church, in, 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 the, in the community of the redeemed. Your nationality doesn't mean anything. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek, and that's really the two major camps... It doesn't matter whether you're purple, pink, orange, blue, yellow, indigo, violet, whatever color you are, whatever nationality you are, is irrelevant in the church. And not only is that, but whatever your socioeconomic status is, is irrelevant. Whether you're a slave or a free or you're a king or whatever, that is irrelevant. And whether you are a man or a woman is irrelevant in the church. In the sense of spiritual privilege. And the word here for men and women is maleness, femaleness. It's, it's not referring to men and women. It's referring to the male gender, the female gender. There's a difference in the words. You understand? It's not referring to men and women. It's talking about maleness and femaleness. So you really could read this. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither maleness or femaleness. You're all one in Christ. Spiritual privilege, men and women, are absolutely 100% equal before God in the community of the redeemed as far as spiritual privilege goes. But Paul is not using this verse to erase the role distinctions any more than he's using this verse to say, well, if you, if you and your boss come to know the Lord, then you don't have to work for him anymore and you can ignore him. That's not what he's saying. You can't use this verse to erase the role distinctions, because that's not what this verse is trying to say. Do you follow what's going on here? That's where you have to yeah, and just read the, read the verse several times. Because again, I've read works where you know, they, they, come, they come flying into this verse to try and prove that men and women, as far as their role goes, are completely equal, but they don't talk about how this same verse would then say, you don't have any male or masters or slaves anymore. What does the rest of the New Testament say? Servants be subject to your what? Master. So it can't mean that. 
you got to go back to the context. Galatians 3.28 has nothing to do with role. It has everything to do with spiritual privilege. And understand, in the community of the redeemed, God does not care what your, your nationality, your ethnic origin is. He doesn't care what your socioeconomic status is. And he doesn't care what your gender is. You're all equally saved. You're all equally redeemed. So that's what this verse is saying. It's not saying what others say it's saying. Does that make sense? You understand it now? So don't let anybody go here and say, well, this is just talking about total equality. It's, it's, not, it's talking about total equality in the sense of spiritual privilege, but not in terms of role. So here's questions. And uh, we'll see how we do here. What about women elders or pastors? All right. As I've studied the topic, I believe the Bible clearly teaches that the elders of the church are to be men. You can't be a one-woman man and be a woman. <laughs> kind of hard to do that. Unless you go down a path that I don't think you really want to go down. All right? The word anyone is in the masculine form and denotes a man. So the elder, the, the role of elder, pastor in the church is for men. It's gender specific. That is their role. All right? And there is no example, biblical or historical, of women elders in the early church. You don't see that. They're not there, ever. And the qualifications for elders listed in Titus 1, 6 through 9, we again find the masculine pronouns used. He, his, his own household. All right? So what do we conclude about the role of the pastor, the elder? is reserved for men. That is God's ordained role. All right? And women who usurp that role are outside the boundaries of God's prescriptions. So if you, go, you have a church where there's a woman pastor, you're in violation, I believe, of the scripture. And that's why, for example, if I were to go up to Bill Hybels' church at Willow Creek, they are in violation of Timothy and Titus because they have a woman elder. You go to their main website, you've got Bill Hybels, and you've got some other woman who is an elder of the church. I'm sorry, I could never attend that church. Because it violates this text. Now, he's done all kinds of backflips and handsprings and dancing the jig to try and get around it. But look, I'm, only, I'm telling you what I believe the Bible clearly teaches. You're going to have to draw your own conclusions, but I really encourage you that it's hard to dance around this one. All right? So... I, I, I'm just stuck with what the text says. So let's ask some other questions. Can a woman speak in church or in a Sunday school class small group setting? Sure. We're not gathered here to do corporate worship, are we? So this is not the forum. Uh, Titus and Timothy are not talking about our forum here. Or in a small group setting. It, it's not talking about that. that that's, not, that's not the context. The context here in this setting is that, yeah, we do share, we do talk, we do ask questions. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. We're talking about the corporate assembly of the believers where the woman is to learn in silence and not be the teacher, the preacher of that venue. Should a woman give her testimony in church, such as a single female missionary would? Can, if we had a church service and, you know, corporate assembly and, and a pastor is doing a, 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 what is that, a interview with a missionary, 
woman, could she speak in the context of that? Sure, is she teaching the Word of God? No, she's giving her testimony. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. Now, I would have a problem if he invited her up to give the morning sermon. That's different. But to give a testimony, to share what God is doing on the mission field, in the context of being a single woman or a single missionary, or, or maybe her husband is not here, he's at a different church, and she is giving a report, a missions report, there's no problem with that. I don't see an issue with that. Can a woman give some spiritual insight on a passage in a small group study? Sure, she's not leading it, teaching it. She can give us insights. She can, she can share what God told her in this passage. That's not, that's not the prohibition here. The prohibition, corporate assembly, gathered together. That's not the context of a small group. Here's another one. Can a woman lead a conference for other women where men might be present? Sure, I don't see a problem with that. What is the purpose for the conference? Women. women. If a man happens to show up, does she have to shut up and sit down because there's a man in the house? We had that happen at I mean, look, all right, that's, ridic that's a ridiculous stretch to me. Because, again, she's not in the context of corporate assembly Sunday morning. It's, it's, it's a different venue. All right? And, and if she's up there to teach, you know, if she's doing a, a, a seminar for women or something like that and a man happens to walk in the building, you can't have the alarms go off and her sit down until the man leaves. That's ridiculous. All right? I, I think that's stretching it. All right? I, I don't think that's what the passage is talking about here. So let's ask a question and now I've left you one minute. One minute. <laughs> Do you have questions? I, I work this out. See, I know what I'm doing here. Yeah. Corporate assembly. Corporate assembly. I think it refers in the context there to preaching within the corporate assembly. All right. I think that's the context of that. Now, I will tell you some, and I know I'm going to get in trouble on this. I probably should just shut up and quit and give the prayer and be done with it. Um, Kay Arthur makes me nervous. She makes some people nervous, but I think she's responding to that by having more men. Yeah. Teaching classes. Yeah. More men authors of their books. Yeah. To me, she makes, she's right up on the line. I, I'm a little nervous. That's just, that's me. All right. All right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying her material's bad. You understand that? You understand? I'm just saying I have I I have a little trouble. Yeah, but the beginning of KR yeah. Yeah. Now, if she has a man take that over and do that other group, fine, have at it, go for it. But she makes me a little nervous. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Joyce Meyer, you shouldn't be listening to her. She's a heretic. She, yeah, she's one of the word faith people that she needs to be avoided. All right? And I got five seconds left to close in prayer. And we're done with this. We're going to do ordinances next week. Then hopefully we'll be start eschatology. Father, thank you for this day you've granted. And I pray that you would help us to ponder these truths and to think about them. Thank you so much for your word that clarifies so many things. And I pray that we would be parts of families that adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, that makes people look at what a normal Christian family should be and wants them to, makes them want to be part of that and to know the God and Savior that we love and serve. And we just thank you for this day in Christ's name. Amen.